Welcome to the Pocket Coven Podcast, where magic meets mental health. I'm Amber Lenore, a witch and licensed psychotherapist. I'm Callie Little, a sex educator and emotional support witch, and we're the coven in your pocket. Welcome to another week of the Pocket Coven Podcast. A day late and a dollar short, but shit, we're here. <laughs> and you are no longer suffering whatever, you know, sinus demon had possession of you. I don't know what it was. I got tested for the Rona. Uh, was negative, but that doesn't mean shit. Um, you know, like I can still be positive. But yeah, I've been sick this mm-hmm. week and it's been a bummer. But I'm feeling a lot better and a lot more creative, which is perfect for today's topic. It is sacred creativity or Ooh. coven creativity. I don't know which crafts. <laughs> Thank you. Which crafts? <laughs> which crafting? Creative process. Yeah, we. I mean, you and I have talked about creative process for so long because we're both artists by trade. I mean, therapy and counseling are both an art as much as they are a science. Um, And within the world of therapy, I'm like an extra weirdo in that world. There's like Mm -hmm. the, in grad school, we called it like the straight therapies, not to disparage them. The creative arts therapies are are pretty wild. (laughs) So, so yeah, having a a master's in a creative arts therapy uh, discipline is definitely a cornerstone of my magic. Yeah. And I mean, having seen the circus shows you put on with your, your, now retired therapy group. Um, I have seen your therapy in circus magic and it's really cool. And then, I mean, you know, I've made my career really off of writing about trauma and how to heal, um, in very public ways. So non-traditional forms of emotional transmutation, but thus, which, So the definition of creativity, which I thought you might want to know, because I looked it up on Google. (laughs) We love Google. Friend of the show. Friend of the show. Thank you for the easy access to answers. Creativity, the use of the imagination or original ideas, especially in the production of an artistic work. Ah, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Vague. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, creativity isn't is it's not just one thing it's i feel like it is a way of being and i i know that that sounds very poetic and also vague but i think that it's like not feeling as if you have to live under one expectation which is not to say like without morality but without I guess, undue structure. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. It's the use of imagination. And Mm -hmm. I know that there's been areas of my life which may not look like art, you know. Parenting, for instance, uses a ton of imagination and creativity. Financial uh, balance when you're poor takes a ton of imagination and creativity, which bill is going to get paid, right? How do I cobble together a living space that feels comfortable with not a lot of resources? I feel like when I was younger, so much of my creative will was being used for survival. So I didn't Mm -hmm. see myself, right, as a creative person because there wasn't this representation of creativity. I wasn't painting anything. I was going to school, parenting a little girl, working full time, and just trying to get on top of my brain, just trying to survive, which took so much creativity and tons Mm -hmm. of vision and tons of imagination. But if you had asked me at 25, if I was artist, I would have said, oh, no, I don't, I don't know anything about art. No, I'm not an artist. Mm -hmm. And you know, the alchemy of poverty is so real. I also, you know, Amber and I both grew up very poor and I didn't 
have access to like a lot of art materials or anything. And so I remember making art out of garbage, (laughs) not like rotten garbage, but you know, toilet paper rolls. And, um, I would buy records for like 10 cents at the thrift store and I would paint on those. Um, I, I didn't have, you know, classes on how to make art. So I would just take magazine pages out and I would draw on top of the faces to learn how to shade. And that is a really directly creative thing. But then you look at my later years as a teen, like figuring out how to survive and have a job as somebody who was homeless. That was creative as fuck. Problem solving is creative process. You are going through the process of pursuing different imaginary avenues and seeing what might come out of it. And it's not of course, it's not the same as saying like, I'm going to make something really beautiful out of this fantasy and then I'm going to share it with people and there's no suffering behind it necessarily. But I think what we're getting at is that whether or not you identify with creativity, it is yours to claim. Inevitably, you have used creativity in your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, as you were talking, I was thinking about this memory that, I, I, gosh, I haven't thought about it for a long time. I think it represents this balance between doing what feels good to you and then the outward representation of something beautiful and how that becomes a problem and a block in creative process. When I was in the third grade, we were doing our section on ancient Egypt and we needed to make a scroll of hieroglyphics and present it to the class. And I thought that was super boring. And I've always loved collage. And I was collaging a lot at that time as a little girl. And I thought, well, I'm not really interested in hieroglyphics, but I'm really interested in collage. So I'll learn what those hieroglyphic Uh, hieroglyphics mean and then I will find an image that represents that and then the scroll will have all of these images and I and I rolled it out in front of the class and showed it to everybody and the teacher was disapproving and was like that wasn't what we asked you to do that wasn't the assignment and I remember even as a little girl thinking I don't really care I like it (laughs) I don't care. I don't. This is also why I didn't do very well in school. I didn't really care if, if I didn't do the assignment the way they told me to do it, I would just do whatever I liked because it felt good to me. Mm -hmm. And then I lost touch with that voice over time. And I've really reclaimed it as an adult. I'm mostly a performance artist in the before times. I'm not performing anything on stage right now. And a, um, visual artist. I make mixed media collage and sculpture and things like that. And I truly do not care if anyone likes it but me. I really, really don't. I do it because I need to do it. I do it Mm -hmm. because I need to have that in my life in the same way that I drink water when I'm thirsty. It feels very necessary and it makes me feel good, which is why I think it's been uh, easier to reclaim that artist identity. Mm -hmm. I think that something that folks struggle with a lot, something that I hear my clients struggle with a lot is that fear of failure. Like what if it's ugly? What if all of the what ifs? And like six years ago, I decided that I was tired of being afraid that my drawing in particular wasn't good enough. And, um, along with drawing is like watercolor because I use those together. And I decided that I wasn't going to try to make the kind of art that I personally would purchase. I was going to make the kind of art that my body and brain could make. And I was going to put that in the public. So I started posting art to my Instagram all the time, whether or not I really like loved it. I was just working on embracing my art. And it turns out that when you take away the fear of like, I don't know, being disapproved of, a lot of people actually really celebrate you. And that feels really good. And that's not to say that that's a necessary part of it, but when you show your work, people show up. 
I do agree with that. I think that people really appreciate seeing someone show up for themselves and then they want to show up for that. There are a lot of people who really benefit and resonate with seeing someone just being themselves. And also that absolutely makes you a target for people who don't appreciate that sort of representation of self. How dare you have self-esteem in a public space? Fuck you. And that's just not about me. It's just not. And that concept you know, the concept of your feelings about me are not always about me, especially if I don't know you and you're just projecting your distaste for yourself onto me. It was a roommate of mine from who was uh, working the steps in AA who said, it's none of my business what other people think about me, Yeah, which I had, I had never heard that before. And I still um, really appreciate him telling me that. There's so much permission in there and so much surrender. I can't do anything about what other people think of me. I can't. It's not even possible. You know, <laughs> I, I know that I I know that I can't fly. I don't get pissed at myself because I can't fucking fly. So why am I angry with myself because I can't control other people's perception of me? Yeah, I think that you have really shared that with me. I think that you're where I saw that the first time, um, you know, when you say your problem with me is a fact about you, not me, which you don't say to me personally, but, (laughs) um, it's, it's something that you say a lot. Um, it's given me a lot of permission as well. And, you know, when I am thinking about the people who have touched my life, who have really, negative opinions about me because it turns out that like leaving your abusive family and then succeeding in your weird work of talking about dildos and witchcraft um a lot of people think that you're a terrible person um, not as many as are like wow <laughs> they do yeah good for you but i I return over and over to this idea of like, I can't help who decides I'm a villain. You know, I'm not, I'm not harming them. Mm -hmm. And if they decide to cast me in that role in their life, they clearly need me in that role. So, okay. It's not actually me. It's like they took a photograph of me and they're like, this is a platypus. I fucking hate this platypus. Like I can't change their mind, you know? (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. No, totally. I mean, part of why I love my job so much is I have to flex that muscle all the time. I'm a projective object. I'm, I'm a a holding container, which is something we'll talk about in a little bit when we talk about kind of working with creative blocks and moving past them. But I am a surface for other people to project all their shit on. That's part of my job. And, uh, I got to be pretty fucking comfortable with that and non-reactive to that because that's important to be a reflective surface. Thus, it's really intensified my ability to kind of see when someone's uh, projecting on me. I can like feel it somatically now. I'm like, ooh, that's not mine. Ooh, that's a whole lot of not mine. (laughs) Somatic awareness. I mean, that's another way to name intuition. Mm, You know, mm -hmm. as we learn how to be aware of our energy and the energy around us because energy is scientifically proven. We know that the universe is made up of energy, right? We mm-hmm. can feel it. And and that's not even me being a woo bitch. That is true. We are energetic beings and we have that awareness. It's just that we learn to tune it out in favor of the logical side that we've all decided is more important. It's not more important. It's like as important. In in our get juiced up weekend, last weekend for the full moon, Amber and I went to our favorite place on the Olympic Peninsula and we got a couple crystals. Um, we had a nice little meditation on the beach. We collected some seashells. Amber found a wild giant moon snail shell. I've never heard of a moon snail, but yeah, yeah. I feel like it just really gave us both a lot 
of juice, it felt really good to just spend the day together. And like, it was, I don't know, it's so nice to get to spend time with another person and feel like, oh, wow, we can just make magic all day long. Nothing goes wrong. We just have a good time. We just vibe together. And then I was really, really tired the next day because socializing, even with people who I absolutely love and it's 100% positive, it's still energy expenditure. And now this week I felt a lot more powerful. I feel like the full moon, we got really juiced up because that was the intention, which is also, I mean, that's part of intuitive work. That's part of witchcraft. You know, we are working with the energies that exist in the world and the ones that we want to be working with. Mm-hmm, exactly. That day was wonderful. And from my perspective, a lot of what we were doing was just following our intuition. How do I feel right now? Do I need a meal? Do I want to be on the beach? How are you feeling? How am I feeling? How do we balance our energy together um, and follow our impulses to the next uh, logical or artistic con- conclusion, right? It feels better to sit on this part of the beach, and I don't know why. I don't need to know why because my logic isn't so helpful here. It just feels better to me. So I'm going to sit here. And I think that that's a lot of what's congruent about art and magic and how art and magic are the same thing. If you have that perspective, when I come to my altar, I don't know what I'm what I'm going to find. I'm opening something up. When I come to the beach and I see beechwood and rocks, I don't know, maybe I'll build something, which is something that we did, building just impromptu sculptures. I attribute a lot of this perspective to um, creative arts therapy trainings. I didn't have any background in the arts. A lot of the people I went to school with had fine arts degrees and were um, very accomplished artists who once wanted to become therapists. And I was a baby therapist who wanted to be an artist. And so I got to be immersed in this um, very artistic world that is different than, from my understanding, the fine arts world, which is all about what you're producing. So when I was training with art therapists, I'm not an art therapist, but I was training with them a lot. I'm a drama therapist. And you get your uh, your paper and your uh, your paint, and I'm like sitting in a class, and the teacher's like, we're not making any art. We're expressing ourselves. And that is the spirit with which I go to magic and art. I'm not interested or attached to the outcome at all, actually. And that allows me to be more creative. And I noticed that a lot of us are really attached to outcome and then we can never really start anything because we're really attached to how it's going to look and how it's going to be perceived instead of experiencing the process. The process is the point of it. The, uh, the outcome is incidental. If it's pretty, cool. If it's not, it's fine too. It doesn't need to be pretty. Absolutely. And I, I love that perspective of, you know, showing up without an attachment to the outcome, which is so much of magic anyway. Um, I was reading the, the book that goes with the Oracle deck, The Living Altar by Ilva Mara Radizowski. I think that I said her name right. She's an incredible local witch who has made a beautiful Oracle deck a beautiful book called a practical guide to witchcraft. She just launched a podcast, which I think is, I think it's called the living altar also, but I, I I might. Yeah. She's making amazing work and a dear friend and listener of the podcast, Candace gave me the living altar Oracle deck last night. Oh, nice. Yeah. I was so excited. It feels really, really powerful. Like a lot of intention went into that. You can feel it when you look at it. And when you read the book, it is a very, like, it is a serious piece of magical work. It talks a lot about how when you're going into a spell or working with a divinatory tool, you need to not be attached to the outcome because you don't want to be exerting your magic necessarily. You want to be inviting the magic of what you're working with. You want to be open to what's coming up. And I was like, oh, I needed that reminder. Because sometimes I get a card when I'm pulling tarot and I'm like, oh, it's not what I wanted. (laughs) And that's not the point. Like, 
I know that we all do that. I know that, but it's not the point. We're not consulting the tarot to be like, hey, confirm or deny. <laughs> We're asking for guidance from the universe. Mm-hmm. That's such a great point. You know, tarot really does ask us to um, work with what we're given. And art making and accessing creativity asks us to work with what we're given. What do we have around us that can be, uh, you know, included in the creative process? What are we already doing that we can reimagine as a creative process? Cooking a meal can be a creative process if that's the spirit that you're bringing to it. I've seen a lot of witches talk about, you know, kitchen witchery and keeping their home clean as a form of magic. I definitely feel like it is. The spell I'm casting is I feel better, right, after my space is clean. So there's a lot of different processes which can be seen as our our magic if that's the lens that you're using. Mm -hmm. So there are a million ways that you can be practicing you know, the creative process within witchcraft, but we wanted to touch on some specific ways to do it and talk about ways that we are just beginning to unfold. Um, Amber, I think that you had wanted to talk about the concept of big magic. Yeah, it's a book by Liz Gilbert who divides people. She's a privileged white lady who has written some books that are very presumptuous about what people have the resources to do. And also I find her to be nice. I like her and I like her writing voice. I will say that in the book, Big Magic, I really liked her concept of thinking of creativity as a living being. And when that being shows up and and it's like, hey, what if you painted today? What if you painted this flower? that's a living being. If you don't acknowledge them and work with them and they're like, Hey, what about that painting? They're just going to walk away. You know, you have to turn toward your creativity as much as you would a partner. I really like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that too. There were two takeaways from that book that I've used, um, to pretty good effect when I'm working with groups on creative process And, you know, I just have to acknowledge, just as an aside before I read this quote from Liz Gilbert's Big Magic, when we were coming in to record this, the first thought I I had was, I don't know anything about creativity. (laughs) That was the knee jerk, was I I don't know enough about artistic process to have any degree of authority. Like, I should not be speaking on this. This is outside of my scope of competency. And then I slowed down and I'm like, that's like qualitatively not true (laughs) quantitatively not true too I I I, yes I do know how to do this maybe the way that I access or lead others into creative process is different but that's fine that's literally what creative process is is that everybody is doing it differently so just acknowledging that that voice is still there many years in guiding other people through their creativity that voice is still there to be like you're not good enough for this so Liz Gilbert's section on identifying the ways that you're afraid to have more creativity in your life or lead a creative life are, it's pretty complete. So I'm going to read some of it, but not all of it because there's a lot. Um, It's a list. So you're afraid you have no talent. You're afraid you'll be rejected or criticized or ridiculed or misunderstood or worst of all, ignored. You're afraid there's no market for your creativity and therefore no point in pursuing it. You're afraid somebody else already did it better. You're afraid everybody else did it better. You're afraid someone will steal your ideas, so it's safer to keep them hidden forever in the dark. You're afraid you won't be taken seriously. You're afraid your work isn't politically, emotionally, artistically important enough to change anyone's life. You're afraid your dreams are embarrassing. You're afraid that someday you'll look back on your creative endeavors as having been a giant waste of time, effort, and money. It goes on and on and on. These are these are voices within us that tell us that we're not allowed to have this because someone else is doing it better. When I'm helping folks access creativity, we got to work through this first because that's the first voice that comes up is you don't know how to do this. No one taught you how to be an artist. An artist is something you learn how to do. From my perspective, that's not the case. You are born an artist. When I work with kids, oh goodness, 
They're just little artists. They're just using their imagination all the time. It's our culture that takes it out of us and infuses us with all of these negative messaging because making art and making money, they often don't line up and we don't pay artists, right? Like we don't value art or imagination in our culture. So those voices come filtering in. And I think it's really valuable to just identify, you know, what criticisms do you already have of yourself before you even access your creativity? Absolutely. I, I didn't realize how much I was being held back by my own bullshit until I started really looking at other people's art and seeing that it was just stuff people made and not at all to disparage that. I don't mean it's bad. I mean, nobody is making art that is impossible to make. Everyone is making art that comes out of their mind. And some people have more access to, you know, money and resources, but everyone has access to creativity. You can use what is around you, which is, you know, what we were talking about at the top of the episode with the fact that you can be creative even in poverty. That is not to say that if you have resources and privilege, you cannot be creative. It's not to say that if you are trained in the fine arts that you cannot be inherently creative. That's not at all what this is about because creativity has no gates to keep. It's within us. It's a living thing. You have it, period. It's not you have it or you don't. You just do. It is available to you no matter what you have in front of you. And going to an art gallery, I know that that's impossible right now, but the internet is amazing for so many things and you can see so much art. I, in in Berlin, the one thing I did because I was terribly sick the entire week I was there, the one thing I did was I went to this art gallery that was, it was a modern art gallery, of course, and it was in an old bunker that had been transformed and you had to have like a private reservation and it was so strange. You know, it was a really cool experience, but at the same time, like one of the rooms really helped define my view of art because it was filled with egg cartons like you would get at the grocery store and they were like gold dipped. I don't know if they were literally dipped in actual gold or what, but they were cast in something that looked like gold and they were just all over the floor lined up in rows and they were all empty except for one, which had one actual egg in it. And the gallery, I don't know, liaison was very highly manicured, like the most beautiful, tall, androgynous being with very clearly dyed jet black hair. And I say clearly because I think it was purposely visible (laughs) that it was dyed. They had waxed their eyelashes into like cat eye points, which I thought was very interesting. They're in a black turtleneck, like long duster sweater, black pants, black shoes, and they're holding a very stark white mug. And they're just very like, tall and slender and just look like an elf out of a movie. And they say like, you know, the artist wanted to show that, but in a German accent, of course, the artist wanted to show that we care so much for the packaging that it doesn't matter if there's any substance inside. And I was like, that is so fucking heavy handed. Like this room is full (laughs) of really expensive art that somebody paid at like probably in the six figures for, and that is the simplest idea. Art is not about coming up with an idea nobody has ever had. Art is about doing the damn idea. Mm-hmm. That's so funny, that contrast. I know. <laughs> yeah. It really helped me feel free as an artist to see that and just, you know, look at artist bios of maybe people that you know. Look at their bios and realize that the reason that they sound like artists is because they talk about themselves like artists. 
I didn't realize that for the longest time until I became friends with more artists and I saw their artist bios, you know, compared to their life that I knew, you know, this person who maybe I have eaten tacos with. And it's like, oh, we are what we make of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Gosh, I, I'm thinking about just like the, the balance between, you know, the fine arts world or the more precise, more product-driven world and, the, and then the process arts world. And, and I'm sure there's many other worlds, but uh, I think a couple years ago, I went up to, uh, to Port Townsend to see my friend Holly in the before times, of course, and we went to her artist studio. And the goal was we're going to make art together, but Holly and I had never made any art together. So we didn't really know about each other's process. So she lays out all these materials and she's very, um, she's very precise. She, you know, she'll use an X-Acto knife on a collage piece to get all the little, the fingers cut out and everything. And I'm really fucking messy. You know, I will paint my body with paint and roll around on the floor. And I'm just like, I want to feel my feelings with, with a medium. That's all I really care about. Mm -hmm. I don't care about what happens. And, and so we're starting to create together and we realize that we're just very different artists and there was this strange tension that we were working through. Holly was like, what do you, what do you mean just express myself? I, what are you talking about? What's our plan for this piece we're creating together? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> and so she kept being precise because that's what felt good to her and very intentionally looking for the right images and considering um, how they'll look together and how they'll be positioned together. And I just started painting messily on the canvas. And so we co-created this piece that was both very messy and unformed and free-formed and emotional. And another, and another part was very contained and very precise. And they look beautiful together. Like it's a lovely piece of art. I think it's at Holly's house. And um, and I and so I, I really love that both of those can be true. That there is there can be skill in art making. I definitely learned that in the circus. There is a lot of discussion over who got to be an artist and who wasn't allowed to call themselves a circus artist. And um and I see those perspectives too. One of my favorite circus artists, my friend Eve Diamond. She's hardcore. Um, she's got like muscles on muscles. Like she takes very seriously her identity as a circus artist. And my fat ass comes into the circus and I'm like, look, I can do something half-assed. It's art. And I, and I think it is art. And she is the kind of person that waited, you know, decades to call herself a circus artist. And yet we are able to be friends and just respect each other for what the other does. She loves that I just take up space and say I am an artist because I'm here and I'm present, and I'm on the stage doing whatever feels right to me. And I respect her for her years and years of dedication and discipline, because both of those are in part, are important, because both <laughs> of those are important. Absolutely. There is no one way. Mm -mm. And we all need a creative container. That's going to be my last little bit, and then we're going to give you a very exciting offer. I'm so stoked. An offer. <laughs> An offer. An offering. <laughs> we have something fun that we want to engage in with you. It's true. Yes. <laughs> a creative container is a space that allows for creativity to be possible. I've been thinking more intentionally about this concept really for about a week since a client of mine was like, what the fuck are you talking about? what's a container? What do you mean? And I was sort of taking for granted that they would understand because I'm always like in conversation with other uh, folks who know this lingo, right? This is like creative arts therapy lingo. So a stage is a container, a painting is a container, and having having a container allows for creativity in the same way that when you're doing um, a performance, when you're in theater, you need to know you're blocking, if you don't know you're blocking, you can't be creative on stage. And when I was producing shows and directing shows, one of the most difficult and frustrating parts of the process was where we're just standing on the stage and we're just marking and we're just doing blocking. Okay, you stand here, then the music cues here. It's so tedious because my performers are just like, I want to be creative. I want to get up there and, and express myself. And I'm like, right, but if the conditions aren't optimal for that, then it's not really going to happen. You can't be creative when you don't know what you're doing. So 
I'm going to read something from um, a blog that I found from another creative arts therapy practitioner. It's a life balance counseling clinic. Uh, We'll put it in the show notes. She says, the term container has been used in the world of psychotherapy since its inception and was found in Freud's writing in the early days of psychoanalysis. It means a holding environment with emphasis on safety projection into a safe space, or it could be holding a feeling state until it can be discharged in a safe way. This holding environment could be found in either another figure, such as a mother or a caretaker or a process. In the process, the process allows discharge and holding through the creation of a product, such as an art object, a dance, writing, etc. In art therapy, we use the process of art making and the finished project as the container. So having a container is really important. I've said this before on the pod, To illustrate my point, when I'm working with a group, I don't let them just walk in and I'm like, how's everybody doing today? How the fuck are you? Like, no. Like, they come in. I create a holding environment. We stand in a circle. How do you feel today? That is a process of containment. If you're seeing a therapist, when you go into therapy, you're your therapist is your container. They are receiving and they're helping you transform the contents of what they receive into a product, a feeling, right? People often feel better after a therapy session. That's the art that is made is the feeling that's produced. So creative containers, really, really, really vital. It's not, it's not really accessible to just like sit down and be like, all right, time to make some art. Like you need a prompt, right? You need a holding environment so that you can be creative. So our offer, Callie, will you please tell our listeners about the holding environment that we would like to give them? Yeah. So, I mean, first off, when I hear offer, I think, oh my God, that's going to cost money. And I mean, yes and no. So we are offering our container of a book club. We were both really inspired by our time on the peninsula last weekend, and we were talking about creative process, which is how we arrived at the idea of making this podcast episode in particular, because this is just something that we talk about in our lives. And Amber asked me if I had ever read The Artist's Way, because she hasn't read it, but she owns it. And I was like, oh, no, I know. I've always meant to, but I haven't. And we were like, oh, let's have a book club together. Oh, let's have a book club available to our listeners and invite you all to read The Artist's Way with us. So a little bit about the book. The Artist's Way, I'm sure you've heard of it. It's where the whole morning pages thing comes from. But the subtitle of The Artist's Way is A Spiritual Path to Higher Creativity. And it's not that this book has the path forward. It's that this book shows you how to find your path forward because trying on anything gives you an idea of what fits and what doesn't. So it's a 12-week book. It is set up to have one goal per week, like one set of skills. And I would tell you more about it, but to be honest, I haven't read it yet. So I don't know a ton about it yet. I know that the first week is all about overcoming fear and creating safety within the concept of creativity. And week one is actually called Recovering a Sense of Safety. And the first section is called Shadow Artists, which you know just speaks to me and Amber's heart. So the book club is going to be available at the Priest X level of our Patreon. We are going to have weekly posts where we talk about the chapter that we're going to be going over. We're going to read ahead of time so that we can make those posts informative. We can include gem recommendations in case you want to be working with crystals throughout that time. And we're going to create tarot spreads to help you get through that week in particular. We're also going to be engaging in the comment section of those posts as part of our conversation around the book. And because this is set up in a 12-week format, we are going to have monthly 
Zoom sessions with anybody in the book club. So those are going to be group sessions. And we're going to have to, of course, have some polls about when that works best for everybody. But we're excited because both of us have meant to read this book for a really long time. And I bet a lot of you have as well. It is a classic for a reason. You can get any version of it because it's been reprinted so many times. It doesn't matter if you have an old copy or a new copy. The concepts are all going to be basically the same. And the point is to be together in creative process. And to have a structure, to have a way to um, contain, there it is again, to contain a process and, you know, put in some accountability. It can be really motivating to know that you have a Zoom coming up and you have a project due. Sometimes we need to feel a little bit of pressure to make a little diamond. Whenever I give clients homework, which is often because I'm a Virgo and I love homework myself, uh, I always say you don't have to do the homework. All you have to do is consider why you didn't do it. And that is just as valuable. So if you decide to be part of the book club and like me, you have ADHD, or maybe you just know that you're kind of inconsistent with these things, it's okay to be inconsistent. You can still come to the Zooms. I agree. I think that even if you don't like do the prompt, like you still show up when I'm, uh, when I've been running groups in the past and, you know, it's very typical, like a group member send me an, a stressed email, Amber, I didn't do the homework and I have to come to group. And I'm like, that's fine. You're still going to make something. I, that's cool. We'll work with it in vivo. That means like in process live. So a typical way that I'll work with that is like, oh, you didn't paint anything. That's fine. Go grab an object, like make something right now. <laughs> right? Um, or, or, or work with us around what came up for you that you weren't able to create. Right. Whatever you bring, even if it's nothing, even if it's just yourself, that's enough, right? So know mm-hmm. that if you're going to be joining this book club, we get that. And that is part of the process. That's a really important and vital part of the process. Yeah. And shame is not part of the process. It's not something you're going to get no. from us really ever. Even when there's a blatant disagreement, it's not about shaming another person. It's about being aware of how we spend our time and energy. And when you're in a book club, that's a very different situation. If you don't do the chapter of reading, it's all right. You can still show up. We're still going to have love for you mm-hmm. and work on creativity. Uh, I wanted to share this line from the the chapter basic tools from the book, because I think it's really funny. So the author, Julia Cameron says, in order to retrieve your creativity, you need to find it. I ask you to do this by an apparently pointless process. I call the morning pages. (laughs) I, (laughs) I love that. She's like, ugh. (laughs) I love that so much. Something that I get from clients a lot is what's the fucking point (laughs) when I ask them to do stuff. And I just have, it's really, it's hard for me to answer that the point is the point. The process is the point. It's a, it's a hard place for me to resonate because to me, just being able to make myself feel better, even if it's just for now is like worth it to me. I have spent so long just trying to, have a say in how I feel and art allows me to have a say in how I feel. So if you're coming to it with that spirit, I think you're going to enjoy it. The point is that we're together. The point is that just for today, it helps. It's creativity for creativity's sake, which is the fucking point. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. That is the fucking point. (laughs) So Callie, as we wrap up, I think we we both have some announcements or, or things we want to touch on before we give our last bits. We do. I don't know if anyone has seen the gorgeous collaboration that we've done with Rosy Cheeks, et cetera, but we have worked with makers of we have worked with the makers of the perfect mask to create a line of 
gorgeous, witchy-themed face masks. There are a ton of different styles available. I think that seven out of the nine are still up, but they are going fast. So you can follow the link in the show notes, or you can just look up Rosy Cheeks, et cetera. They have an Etsy shop. And if you use code Pocket Coven, you get $3 off your mask. We also get a kickback because we're friends with Rosy Cheeks and artists supporting artists. And they're actually hosting a giveaway right now as well. So go follow them on Instagram at rosycheeks.etc. That's R-O-S-Y-C-H-E-E-K-S dot E-T-C. And you can enter their giveaway for $30 in credit to their store, which is equivalent to two masks, or you can just buy them. They're only $15. And because they are selling so well and they were selling out of options really quickly, we actually are doing a second release with a restock of the most popular option, which was the Serpents and Roses mask, uh, which Amber has. And I'm going to buy one myself. And we're going to have some matching masks so you can match us. We also have that one coming in a second color and seven new fabrics. So whatever your witchy tastes, we've got some stuff for you. And it helps the show. It helps keep you healthy, helps keep the public healthy, supports a small business in Colorado, supports us. Win, win, win. Yeah. I bought the last Selkie blue mask last night on Etsy. Sorry. So hopefully there will be, I was like, oh, eight people have this in their cart. I'm buying it right now. It's fine. (laughs) It's so So, pretty. Please support them. They're really cute. Yeah. And my announcement is that Self is Myth is going to be out on Monday, my Medusa episode, which has been delayed by me being sick and not being able to access my thoughts, like brain fog. And admittedly, even before I was feeling ill, I just got so deep into researching Medusa that I didn't feel ready to say anything about it because I was digging and digging and digging. And now I'm like, okay, I've dug enough for the time being. Because I'm noticing that my process takes me a little bit longer than a week, I'm going to release Self as Myth every other Monday. So that's going to come out twice a month for our Patreon subscribers. We're so excited to be adding to our Patreon offerings. And thank you so much for those of you who have joined. We just uh, reached a pretty big milestone for us, which is earning over $200 a month on Patreon. And for those who don't know, we are saving that money despite the fact that both of us are, you know, living in one of the most expensive cities in the United States. Um, We're saving that money so that we can make a pilgrimage to our ancestors' homeland together. We decided when we found out that we are biological cousins after knowing each other for 10 years, if you didn't know that, we have an episode about it called You, Me, Ancestry. Uh, and we're going to be funding that trip, hopefully predominantly with Patreon funds. So it's just racking up while we're in the pandemic. And we're so grateful to have your support in doing that because we want to make some amazing content in Ireland and Scotland and Great Britain. Yeah, we haven't touched that money. We're just letting it just pile so that we can go do this trip. And if you haven't already, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It makes us feel really good and it also gets us more listeners. There's been a little bit of amplified activity around Pocket Coven lately, which is really fun. We're reaching new people, new ears. I've had a few like therapy sessions with people that are just meeting me for the first time. And it's so cute to hear them say, oh my God, I've been listening to your podcast. It's also easy. I'm like, oh, cool. So you already know my voice. You know what I'm about. Sweet, sweet, sweet. It's like a really uh, accessible way <laughs> to bond with people very quickly. So, um, so yeah, give us those shout outs. They help other people find us and help us spread the love. And don't forget, we do extra content on Patreon. So if you want more on the creative process, join us over there after the episode. And what do you think we should talk about next week? We are going to be talking about the next big holiday in the witch calendar, Ostara. And 
we will actually be recording together in person for Ostara pretty soon. Yes. On Ostara. (laughs) Yeah. So this episode will be uh, getting you prepared for the next big pagan holiday. So we'll see you there. I was really excited. This was actually the very first sponsor that you and I reached out to Mm -hmm. because we really wanted to build relationships with actual therapeutic tools into the podcast. One of the biggest struggles I have as a therapist is just wrestling with the inaccessibility of mental health treatment. So because BetterHelp can do therapy from their home and do it remotely, that means that people, you know, they don't have to go anywhere, which can actually be a thing. Like if you don't have a car access, getting to a clinic can actually be difficult. Mm -hmm. So just the convenience of being able to be at home, I think is really important. And then that increases the possibility that people will actually utilize therapy. Yeah. I know that it has felt like a significantly lessened burden for me to be able to do therapy from home just on my phone. And I really hope that the world just gets more comfortable with virtual therapy in general because of where we're at in the world. I agree. And I think it's important that mental health consumers have the ability to have a say in who their provider is. As a therapist, I definitely, you know, I meet a new client and I'm like, well, you know, I don't think we're a good fit. So can I help you find someone who is? Or they tell me I'm not a good fit and that's fine. I think we really need to normalize that. And with BetterHelp, you can change anytime and choose a different provider if they're not a good fit for you. Because likely, you know, you might need to try on, you know, a few different kinds of providers before you find the one that's right for you. Having therapists who are capable of helping me with my specific needs and to say that they offer that worldwide is really cool to me Mm -hmm. really like the BetterHelp has financial aid available for people this is a long-term therapeutic process so this isn't a crisis line it's different than that it is not a self-help line it's different than that so it's a therapeutic relationship that needs to build consistently so that's what you can get And because BetterHelp is partnering with us, you can go to betterhelp.com slash pocket coven and you can actually get 10% off of your first month. If within that time you decide you don't like your therapist, you can, as Amber said, just easily switch to a different one. It's super accessible and it's betterhelp.com slash pocket pocket coven that will get you 10% off it'll get us just a little bit of a kickback so it's a great way to support the podcast and your well-being at the same time (laughs) 